From the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and Sirius XM, this is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. The conversation you're about to hear was originally recorded on the Work and Life radio show on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. My guest in this episode of Work and Life is Sam Calagione. Sam is the founder and owner of Dogfish Head Brewery and author of the wonderful book, Off-Centered Leadership. Dogfish Head is a craft brewery founded in 1995, and it's grown to be one of the leaders in the fast-growing craft brewery movement. In this episode, we talk about the company culture at Dogfish that Sam has built and maintains, especially through the hiring process that supports its unique culture, particularly its embrace of nonconformity and creative self-expression. There are lots of lessons from off-centered leadership that listeners can use. One short production note, the sound quality on this podcast is less than our standard, I hope you'll stay with it, for Sam Calgione is a very cool and insightful leader. Sam, welcome to Work and Life. Well, it's great to be here, Stu. Great to hear your voice again. It's, it's so good to have you with us. Uh, so Sam uh, is a widely respected leader in the craft brewery movement and the author most recently of a book called Off-Centered Leadership. Uh, and Sam, I wonder if we could start with you just giving us um, a brief uh, understanding of what is Off-Centered Leadership? Well, I'd say it's kind of our uh, more what I'm learning in real time than what I'm teaching, frankly. You know, having the humility to know what you're good at as a leader and where you need to, to learn and grow. Uh, but one thing I have learned is that at least for our company, in our industry and for my own, you know, personal satisfaction, I believe, you know, more deeply in the good karma that comes with focusing on collaboration instead of uh, the negative energy that comes with focusing on competition. And that goes hmm. sort of for our company internally, as well as how we engage with the marketplace externally as well. So how does that get to this term off-centeredness? How did you come up with that idea? Why did you call your approach off-centered? Well, that was mostly when we started 21 years ago. We were the smallest commercial brewery in the country, and mm -hmm. we were up against you know much larger, larger competitors. And I knew kind of a sort of a David Goliath classic scenario that I wasn't going to beat them at their own game, the bigger guys. So I had to find my own niche and scratch it. Mm -hmm. And the niche that we chose was to step away from trying to traditional beer styles like the big breweries do, pilsners and lagers, and instead look at the total sort of global landscape for culinary ingredients to put an off-centered spin on brewing recipes. And then that led to sort of our, our off-centered approach to, to building uh, a brand and building an internal culture as well. So an internal culture that is uh, built on this idea of being somehow different and finding your own niche, how does that play out in, in everyday life? Uh, well, I would say, 
you know, we have a, a, a great uh, aversion to getting to um, corporate and, you know, I guess air quotes around corporate for whatever that means, because, of course, we, we are technically a corporation, but mm-hmm. the stereotypes that folks, you know, would associate with a, a Dilbert sense of, of corporate and uh, the hierarchical, the almost faux professionalism that you see, uh, you know, we take beer very seriously and we just don't take ourselves very seriously. You know, we've cut the ties off of bankers who have come into our building uh, literally <laughs> off, off of their necks. Uh, we play jokes and drop fax machines from the top of our giant treehouse. Uh, you know, any, any opportunity we have to say, hey, you know, we recognize that we have to run a, uh, a, a professional business, but that doesn't mean like we can't act like ourselves at work. Mm. I think that's part of, the, part of the definition. Well, that's really uh, what is, is, is so uh, distinctive and special about your approach that I, I want to make sure we, we help listeners understand being yourself at work. I've had the great pleasure of joining you at the brewery uh, down in uh, in Lewis, Delaware, Milton, Delaware, and and everything about your place says it's it's good to be different, to have your own unique perspective. You've got photographs hanging on the ceiling, not on the walls. You've got this uh, inspiring quote from the great American philosopher Emerson emblazoned on an exterior wall. Uh, you, you, you've got you know architectural and design choices that really help people feel like you're in a place where you can be yourself. I, I wonder what that's like as you've grown uh, to 300 people. Uh, how you continue to um, maintain an environment in which people feel like they can be themselves, where they don't have to disguise aspects of who they want to be. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm <laughs> one of your great tenants, and I, I, I enjoyed, we, we got to know each other through my, my reading your book and reaching out to you, and I'm sh- sure glad that we did. But, you know, the tenant of being innovative and acting with, with creativity, we try to bring that into every aspect of our business and our brand so it doesn't seem inauthentic. Like, all we try and do is slap a creative logo on just a homogenous, you know, commodified, you know, uh, liquid. The same thing goes with how we interact with each other at work. I mean, the 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 interaction between our leadership teams a great example of mm-hmm. an ongoing experiment in in you know attempting to be as democratic and collaborative as possible while still needing to you know get stuff done. Um, so you know our process can be you know like the sausage making. Uh, you know you, that you hear about it can be democracy can be ugly it can be slow it can be sometimes there's uh, arguments but we all try to make sure we get our opinions out of the table understand each other as leaders and then we try to get consensus and by doing that we're we're listening to each other learning from each other and then leaving knowing that it was a joint decision not one forced down from above mm-hmm are there ways in which you hire people, for example, that you're, you're looking for a certain kind of approach to work and to life that, uh, that speaks to your, your core philosophy and brand values with respect to uh, you know, a distinctive, innovative edge? You know, that Emerson quote's only three sentences long, so I'll say it, but it's, whoso would be a man must be a nonconformist. 
he who would gather immortal palms must not be hindered by goodness, but must explore if it be goodness for himself, for nothing at last is sacred but the integrity of your own mind. And that concept at the heart of it, the exploration of goodness, is really what we try to uh, we, we try to champion at our company, and we're always, a one of, to a fault, we're probably slow to hire new people at Dogfish because mm-hmm. we're so obsessed with making sure they're a cultural fit for our company and they understand that that exploration of goodness is very different than just the exploration of an awesome salary or the exploration of moving up in the org chart. Mm-hmm. And our interview process is uh, is pretty rigorous where we don't just, uh, bring in candidates and have them be interviewed or spend time with the people they're directly working with in their department. We intentionally choose people from different departments, different levels of our org chart to sit with candidates so that they get to convey what they think is important about dogfish. And it's less about figuring out that candidates uh, got the, you know, the, the written um, capabilities to do the technical part of that job. And it's more about understanding if they're going to be a fit for our community. Mm-hmm. The other great thing about that process is you might have, again, a um, an IT person in the room with an HR person interviewing a restaurant manager. And through the questions each person in that room is asking the candidate, the existing coworkers in that room are getting to learn what's most important to mm-hmm. that IT person from mm-hmm. the HR person's perspective. They're getting to lo- learn how that person defines exploration of goodness. And so it's always informing each other and, and, and learning from each other. Uh, and, and that, I think, is one of the, 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 the best bonds uh, that we create at our, at our company's culture. And, and, you know, back to the origin, you started um, this, this uh, enterprise on your own, basically, and it was small and different. Uh, I, I wonder um, what it was like for you to, to leave whatever path you were on back then to, to you know, have the, uh, the will, the courage probably to start something new and to really uh, you know, fight to, to grow and develop it, especially because it was different and you were up against some big, big market forces. What was that like for you to, to make the choice to pursue this and to, and to give everything that you had to try to make this new thing happen? Uh, it's probably equal parts scary and exhilarating. You know, I'd always been a pretty rebellious person and until I discovered rebellious and, and creative, you know, I've always been uh, really loved to the opportunity to express my creativity and my imagination in my youth. It was more, you know, sometimes productive and creative writing classes and stuff, and sometimes mm-hmm. counterproductive and challenging authority. So finding homebrewing and this sort of insurgent movement of small independent craft brews that was just, uh, you know, burgeoning, uh, uh, you know, in the landscape of America in, in the late 80s, really you know, galvanized my my um, belief that I could kind of use my creative and yet sometimes rebellious powers for good and not evil and uh, help in this movement of returning the, the beer landscape back to human scale and hmm. kind of opening a tiny commercial brewery that, uh, that could be a legitimate player in a marketplace next to the faceless sort of industrial industrialized multinational companies that had overshadowed uh, all the diversity of the beer landscape that existed, you know, uh, pre-prohibition or Mm pre-industrial revolution in America. 
so so this was a path that enabled you to take something that you were passionate about and to express your individuality in a way that uh, uh, well the time the timing was you know the, the, these larger economic and cultural forces at, at work that uh, it, it it really worked out so well for you to be able to take what you were particularly passionate about and to express it in this in this countercultural way. Um, to 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 be really one of the fathers of the crap brewery movement. Yeah, I mean, I count my blessings every day, and you know, Robert Frost has a, a line in one of his poems about uh, you know the, the goal of of being able to marry your vocation with your avocation, and you know, I kind of liken it to to your. Uh, your definition of four-way wins. I mean, I know how lucky I am that I can, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a I get to work next to my wife. So part of my home is, is wrapped up into my mm-hmm. my work life, and 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 I consider my coworkers part of my friends and community. Um, and I get mm-hmm. to go in and do what I love to do, you know, every day. So uh, I don't I don't take that for granted. I've, I've been given this opportunity to have harmony between my, my mm-hmm. work and my, my life because I, I, I'm doing what I'm passionate about. But you made that happen, and, and this is what I'm, I'm especially curious about, and I'm sure there's a lot of listeners who are thinking, gee, how did, how did he do that? Because that's something that I would like to have in my life, and I don't. So, so perhaps you, you, you have some advice for people that comes from what you've written about in your wonderful book about off-centered leadership that would be uh, helpful to share. Uh, in terms of what you think, uh, you know, people ought to do to to get closer to having that kind of harmony uh, that that you've been able to uh, create in your own world. I guess it, it probably starts with figuring out really what's you know kind of writing that list of of what's most important to you in your life. And I'm not just talking in the context of of, of you know work and home and community itself, but mm-hmm. is your career are you are you most ambitious for money are you most ambitious for opportunities for creative expression expression for status and be honest for yourself and then to yourself and then recognize okay well if that's really what i care most about uh one of the steps i'm going to take to make sure that's how i'm focusing most of my energy most of my time most of my talents towards being successful in that realm from an entrepreneurial small business perspective Mm -hmm. i think what what separates there's nothing wrong with choosing to be a small mom and pop shop and staying just, you know, family members in a, in a retail store. Mm-hmm. But when you see folks that, that get ambitious and want to really grow a company, I think one of the best uh, um, talents, those that have really grown small companies share is the humility again to know what you're good at and what you're not good at. Mm. And, you know, when you start small at a company, you wear a lot of hats. But those leaders who have great humility figure out early what hats fit them really well and then which hats they should take off and find people who who have a better fit for that hat Mm -hmm. and entice them to come on that journey. So when I think of my own happiness at work, it it comes when I'm most – and it ebbs and flows, right? You're not always happy at work. Work's evolving. The marketplace is evolving. Your company's evolving. And so sometimes I recognize, wow, okay, we lost that person who had a complimentary skill. I've got to put that hat on for a little while. It sucks. It's uncomfortable. But it's what's best for the company at this moment. Mm-hmm. And you just try and always work towards getting back to your ideal personal work environment. Like you think about your eight, eight nine, ten hours a day at work and what fraction am I doing what I love to do 
what fraction am I doing that? Because right now I have to do it, but I'm, I have an eye towards evolving away from having to do it. Mm-hmm. And what, what part of it do I just have to be realistic is the not fart not fun part of the day that's never going away. And the goal is to always be trying to minimize that not fun of the par- mm-hmm. part. But, but everyone always has parts that are a little less fun than, than others, right? So, so you're, you're really focused on figuring out what's most important to you, what you're good at, what you're not good at. Sam, how do you identify when to hire someone at Dogfish to assume responsibility for a role that you're currently doing? How do you attract top talent to fill that role? As soon as we can identify a place, a job that we suck at, or I and I, we try and find somebody who has those great skills that complement what we're good at and entice them to come on this uh, journey with us. And oftentimes, as a small company, you can't afford you know, market rate uh, to bring talented people in. So we try mm-hmm. to set up a system where people were valued and were uh, compensated uh, entrepreneurially, the better the company does, the better the bonus they get is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we try to offer perks that aren't just about money, but are about recognition for the hard work people are doing, whether it's basically forcing everybody to stop working on Friday afternoon so we can go to Beer 30 together, our, our happy hour, mm-hmm. or uh, organizing bocce tournaments where the only rule is you can't be on the same bocce team with someone you're, from your department. So <laughs> a dishwasher is on the same team with an accountant on the same team hmm. with a maintenance person. And in that way, recognize how important each of us is to the success of Dogfish um, instead of just being like, okay, well, it's the C-suite who matters the most and, mm-hmm. and then so on down the line. Uh, uh, you know, I think those moments are extremely important to the culture of our company. Mm-hmm. Hi, this is Stu Friedman. I hope you're enjoying this conversation and I'm just so glad you're listening. If you like the Work and Life podcast, I would personally appreciate your taking just a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you access this podcast, whatever your favorite platform is. We are relatively new as a podcast, uh, and our team is working really hard to bring you for free the best of the conversations that took place on my Sirius XM radio show but were previously available only to paid subscribers. So every positive rating and review helps us to grow our capacity to move faster toward the goal of sharing useful information and insights about how to create harmony among the different parts of life with people who wouldn't otherwise have access. So please do help us. And if you have ideas for what we can do to improve our impact please write to me at friedman at wharton.upenn.edu. I'd love to hear from you. Sam, back to your story. Um, poetry, philosophy seems to be an important part of uh, you know, what you are passionate about. It's certainly evident in, in all of your, you know, the architecture and artifacts in your, in your, in your company's site, in the, in the things that you produce. How has that been evident how is it, how has poetry and philosophy affected you know, the company as it's evolved in your vision of where it can go well I, I mean I think any great uh, brand builders any great business person needs to be 
very strong storyteller, and when you think of how every word and, and syllable counts in poetry, it's sort of a distillation of building a, a, a brand, uh, making an evocative story that people care about that that can take a, any form, whether it's a song or a poem or a, a, a recipe for for a beer. Mm-hmm. So first, you're just going to find your your voice, your authentic voice as a storyteller, and make sure that that is the central component of your brand. I would say. Speaking of your brand, I saw that Dogfish is the official sponsor of Record Store Day. I saw that on the Dogfish website. Why did you enter that partnership? You know, we, we take beer very seriously, but we don't take ourselves very seriously. And we, but we, we love art, but we don't want to be pretentious about the fact that we think making beer is art. So any chance we get to kind of give a high five uh, brand-wise to another artful community that we believe in, if it feels authentic and right, we pursue that collaboration. That's an example of an external collaboration. So in this case, we partnered with Record Store Day, which is the official day of independent record stores across the country, to have Dogfish be the official sponsor of Record Store Day. Mm-hmm. And as you said, it's very similar to the, the beer world, where you know there's two or three international conglomerates that control the vast majority of America's uh, beer industry. And that's sort of like the Amazons and Spotify's and downloads of, of the music world. And then breweries, the 5,000 independent craft breweries, are more like the neighborhood record stores trying to keep that analog, local, uh, mm-hmm. human-scale interaction alive. So we wanted an opportunity to, to, to own a holiday with air quotes around own, mm-hmm. the, way, the way Guinness owns St. Patrick's Day or Corona owns mm. uh, Cinco de Mayo, but those didn't feel authentic to us, and we felt to be derivative to try and compete. Mm-hmm. So instead, we chose to collaborate with the record community to be the sponsors of Record Store Day. Hmm. It's a great uh, example, I think, of, of how you have, in a creative way, uh, established new kinds of connections, not just for your people and your organization, but across uh, you know, to other partners to to really uh, identify yourselves as distinctive and carving out a distinctive niche. In closing, let me ask you one more question, and that is, you know, looking looking back at your career so far, what what's the big takeaway for you in terms of what you've learned about how you can indeed be true to yourself in in, in your work and in the other parts of your life? Oh, I'd say in a, in a, in a phrase that you don't let the the, the tail of money, wag the dog of inspiration. I mean, if you're in the world of business, you always have to think about profitability, EBITDA, revenue. That just comes with every month, you know, as a metric on one part of how your company's performance. But you can't let that determine your own personal happiness and what you get out of your work. If you do, you're just going to be anxious and live, you know, month to month and quarter to quarter in like this Pavlovian world that's it shouldn't really be relevant in terms of are you getting the most out of every day uh, with your own happiness, your own creativity, your own interaction with the people you care about around you. Sam, thank you so much for joining me today. I always enjoy talking to you, too. I look forward to raising a pint with you someday soon. <laughs> Absolutely. To find out more about Sam Calcioni, uh, Dogfish Head Brewery, and his wonderful book, Off-Centered Leadership, you can follow Sam, as I do, on Twitter, at Dogfish Beer, or just visit their website, uh, Dogfish Head. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sam Calagione, the founder and CEO of Dogfish Head Brewery and Eats. Despite the fact that the sound quality was not optimal, I'm glad you stayed with us. Sam is a wonderful example of how to integrate the different parts of life in a way that works for all of them. He he founded this successful brewery uh, that continues to do great things, invent new kinds of products, uh, and, and be seen as an innovative leader in his field. The community is an essential aspect of his life, not only in the uh, collaborative uh, social environment that is his company of co-workers, but also the role that Dogfish Head plays in the local community outside the borders of the company itself. He works directly with his wife, and they are creative and flexible and mutually supportive of uh, each other in their work and family roles. I've, I've seen that up close and personal. And in addition to being able to speak with Sam a bit about that in this conversation, and on the personal side, this work allows for his creative expression in a way that um, makes him feel good about himself. So. Sam represents, uh, I think, a wonderful example of the kind of thinking that I hope you are inspired to consider, how to bring together the different parts of your life for mutual gain. It's not easy. There are a lot of struggles for Sam at the start. And if you read his wonderful book, Off-Centered Leadership, you'll hear more about, you'll learn more about um, how he came to understand the importance of nonconformity, which he learned the hard way. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio Powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by commenting there or tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and co-workers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. <music>